When I met you in the summer To my heartbeat sound We fell in love As the leaves turn brown and Welcome we to episode 53 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all happenings with hockey in Ohio. My name is Jason Lewandowski. I am joined tonight by Scott Harrington and producer Dan Humphrey. Tim Sullivan is away tonight. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people making the Ohio hockey community better. Last week, we had the chance to speak with Cleveland's own Andrew Parrott, a product of Strongsville Youth Hockey, the Cleveland Barons, and now a member of the Ontario Hockey League's Owen Sound Attack. Fed up with the OHL not playing a single game this season, Andrew has gone to great lengths to find opportunities to play. First, his agent found a team he could play for in Slovakia. But not many scouts are going to see you playing over there, and Andrew is a 19-year-old trying to make an impression on NHL scouts. So he took matters into his own hands, starting to plan a four-day event in Toledo so draft-eligible OHLers could showcase themselves for scouts. That quickly turned into the PHBB Showcase, an event in Erie that will go on for two full weeks and see over 100 players play nine games each in front of a large contingent of NHL teams' scouts. I did have a chance to listen to that last week or last week's show, I actually listened to it this morning. And one of the things that struck me is, is amazing and interesting is that Andy went, he, he, he wants to major in business or he wants a business degree that he's going for, I believe in university in Canada. Well, here you go, put this together. And I liked how he said, you know, uh, when it started, it was him and another guy. And, And within a week he had two other guys that are on the team and, they're all four great friends and, and they're making things happen. So, you know, hats off to the guys that are taking a really unfortunate situation. And I say unfortunate because there were ways to play this and the government of Ontario and others, uh, they, they aired on the side of caution. Fair enough. However, I think in the grand scheme of things, um, while you would hope in the majority of cases that a sport is not the outlet or the avenue for these people to make their living, this is the case. The Ontario Hockey League guys are hoping to make professional careers out of this and to drop the ball this badly uh, is unfortunate. However, to the guys that, that put it all together, it's going to be an exciting time in Erie. Uh, the fact that they were going to do, you know, maybe four teams and play a couple games a day to now, what is it? Uh, uh, nine games each, each uh, team. Two weeks. Play yeah. Nine te- you know, and, and, and I like the other thing he was talking about how the, the small details, you know, the, the food for the scouts, the, the, the lanterns for media, the, the towels on the bench, small little things that technically you don't need them. All However, the stuff you don't think of. A hundred percent. And, but all those little things make the, the yeah. atmosphere that much grander and that much real or that much more real to these guys. So yeah. I thought it was a great conversation you guys had with them. A great uh, hockey experience, but a great for a kid who's getting a business degree, uh, obviously a great experience as well for that. And, he came up with the idea they were going to do it in Toledo and it quickly, once people heard about it, it blew up. So obviously it was a good idea. Um, and I saw somewhere they have 65 NHL scouts there. They started uh, yesterday, right? So um, yeah, 
they're they're all those kids are getting to play in front of multiple scouts. They had uh, Ian Moran from Neutral Zone retweeted us. He was going to be in attendance, or they're going to have I don't know how many scouts they're going to have there, but Neutral Zone scouting will be there. I'm sure there's other scouting services as well as multiple uh, junior scouts from most uh, most of the NHL clubs. So great chance for those those kids to showcase themselves. That's going to be and, awesome. Yeah. That's going to be fantastic. Did, did you guys uh, secure any media passes for this? I heard, the, uh, I I wanted... heard the ask was there. I liked how he used his media training to talk around <laughs> the question. It was fantastic. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. He didn't, he didn't answer me. Uh, I will be making, uh, submitting a request. So I, we'll talk about it after. Okay. I was yeah. thinking maybe a weekday next week. going up. All right. But, uh, yeah, so it was a good talk, and uh, Good K had some great stories about, you know, a juggernaut youth hockey team they played on in Strongsville there with the Duke brothers, yeah, the Duke boys, and then, uh, you know, going up and getting in some – earning his way into the lineup in with the London Knights playing for Dale Hunter by basically taking on all comers, including a much larger and much older Tim Gettinger. Uh, I, I remember asking – when we had Tim on the show and we asked him about that fight, like how, how you, you're training with him in the summer, but then you have to go with him in the game. How did you let him know about it after? And Tim was, you know, obviously good natured about it. And you know, the guy's got to do what the guy's got to do. And obviously, you know, as, as you guys spoke with him about, you know, that was a good and a bad thing. It was a bad thing. Cause he said he got, he got it a little bit handed to him by the yeah. much larger Gettinger, but, you it think? was a great thing because, you know, the team looked at him and said, Hey, this kid's he's on our side. He's ready to go. So yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah. So anyways, the United States premier hockey league is growing. We talked to commissioner Bob Turo back in December. The USPHL has six franchises in the Ohio hockey digest coverage area. And this week we will check in with the head coach of the Columbus Mavericks, as well as the co-owner and head coach of the Worcester Oilers who returned to the ice in Alice Noble arena after a year away. Before we do that, first of all, let's. I, I I've been gone for a week or two here, so I'll catch up and see what's good with the boys. Uh, Danny, how's how's gardening going? Because I, I like, I understand the deal you ran for that summer hat. I think it's fantastic. I don't care who makes fun of you. You stand on your own two feet, young man. That's fantastic. How's the gardening? Uh, the gardening's good. I mean, it's only uh, June first, so we'll we'll see here. But things are green. Um, picked a I picked a radish today and just washed it up and ate it fresh out of the garden, which was nice. We're getting a nice uh nice turnout of kale. I didn't know I was a kale fan, <laughs> but uh you put that in a in a frying pan with a little olive oil and lemon or uh, lemon juice and some salt and it's <laughs> dynamite. Yeah. Um, one thing kale chips going there. Like oh there. yeah, we always make the kale chips. One thing though with kale that I uh. I found out. And of course, okay. you know, my wife makes fun of me and I'm just the person who has the strangest facts on this show. I think to get a better tasting kale after you cut it or, you know, pick it off the plant, you're sp- like, when you wash it, you're supposed to massage the leaves. Cause what that does is it breaks up some enzymes or something in there and it gets rid of the bitterness. So just remember next time you have kale, you massage it. I'm going to massage the just a bejesus out of it when I get it, buddy. Every oh, leaf, that's fantastic. You gotta massage each each leaf individually. Yes, sounds like a you got to make it feel special, Scott. Come it's, on, it's not it's, <laughs> it's not a pick and eat type thing. You got to massage it. You got to take it out for drinks. So, I mean, what are we doing here? 
I'm not planting anything I have to massage before I cook it up. (laughs) I didn't know this. It's just, you know, I read how how to cook kale. And that's just what popped up. All right. Well, hey, I love it. Scott, what's good with you? Oh, you know, running the empire running the the empire has to take a lot, lot of your time. So what else? What did you have a chance to do recently? Uh, Still training. We're getting down to the nitty gritty for the big uh, backpacking trip. So I I can't believe how much money I've spent on equipment. Because when you do, you know, legitimately, when you go on a trip like that, everything's got to be light, but it's got to be good. So rain gear, a chair, like my son's like, I'll just sit in the ground. I'm like, dude, it's two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to want to sit on the ground for two weeks. I don't think he's grasped the fact that uh, like we go when we go on my my mantra when we do regular camping trips is I can do anything for two days. I'll sleep on the ground, you right. know, without a, a pad or whatever. You know, I don't need a chair. I'll sit on the log, whatever. But for 12 days, I, you know, you can need a place to sit. You're going to want to have a good, good, uh, good pad to sleep on, all that stuff. So, yeah, REI, the backpacker shop, no free ads, have, uh, and Cabela's have got a lot of my money right now. Yeah. And they, and they, they leveraged me into getting uh, vaccinated. I was, I'm not oh, a non-vaxxer they? or anything like that, but I, I didn't feel the need to get it. To be honest, I've been exposed. I didn't get sick. I certainly don't want to make anybody else sick, but, uh, I felt at this point, everybody who wanted to get vaccinated has been vaccinated, but Boy Scouts of America sent us this thing that said, like at the last minute, you either have to be vaccinated or have a negative test with like within 72 hours of showing up there or something like that. Like, well, oh. so if you get a false positive, which they don't tell you there's a lot of false positives. You're basically rolling the dice and saying, okay, if a four comes up, you're out. Well, the, the, the flip side of that, Scott, is the false negative. That's true. And I had yeah. that. So, Right. My wife had that too. Did she? Probably because they didn't jam that thing far enough up your, up your nose. They well, went easy yeah. on you and they didn't yeah. get the stuff on there. They, they may have. It's, it's a, that is always possible. Yeah. So your son doesn't realize that after hiking for X miles a day, He's not going to then want to sit on same ground that was. I don't think he's ever been worn out before. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. We did a a practice hike. We did 22 miles over two days. He was, he's 120 pounds. He was carrying 35 pounds. So about 30, that'd be like me carrying 65 pounds for 22 Uh miles. And a little bit like the last couple miles, he was starting to slow down a little bit, but you're invincible when you're 15. Yeah. Don't worry about the that adrenaline's stuff. gonna get going yeah, and his buddies with him, he'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. So sleep with a rock as a pillow. Yeah. It'll be exactly. fantastic. Well, that's good news. Yeah. So that's coming up in a couple weeks. Good. Good news. Good news. Well, you know, the uh the rain's coming here. The rain raining here today in northeast Ohio. We're recording on them. I don't even know what date it is. I almost said Monday. Today's Wednesday, uh, based on the holiday weekend. Um, so, you know, it's been warm, which is great. And with that warm temperatures and the month of June comes the start of hockey season again. So with that on the horizon, let's jump into the news and see what's making news in the world of hockey today. The Youngstown Phantoms held the first overall selection phase one and two of the 2021 USHL draft last week. They used the first pick in phase one, which is for 2005 birth dates 
to select forward William Whitelaw from the Shattuck St. Mary's prep team. Youngstown dealt the top pick in phase two to Dubuque, but still had two picks in the first round and five of the first 33 selections overall. Phantoms general manager Brad Patterson added 19-year-old defenseman Chris Hedden, a 20-year-old center Morgan Winters, in the first round of phase two. Go to www.ohiohockeydigest.com for a complete list of Phantoms draft picks. An intriguing offseason in Columbus got even more interesting last week as star defenseman Seth Jones announced his intentions to test the market as an unrestricted free agent next summer. Jones has one year remaining on his current contract and is eligible to sign an extension, but according to Sportsnet's Elliot Friedman, Jones has informed the team that he is not interested in signing a new deal in Columbus. The expectation now is that Jones will be traded this summer so Columbus does not lose him for nothing a year from now. If it does play out that way, Jones would join the exodus of high-end talent leaving Columbus in the last two years, which also includes the likes of Artemi Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky, Matt Duchesne, Josh Anderson, and Pierre-Luc Dubois. So, what do you think? Could could this be a negotiating point? Does he have no intention of coming back, or could this be uh, uh, positioning? in the media. There's a part of me that says that this is positioning based on Elliot Friedman stating this on TV the other night that uh, he's not going to sign yet. However, it's a different day and age where guys aren't loyal to the organization, right, wrong, or indifferent. You don't get a guy like a Steve Eiserman that plays his full 20-year career in, in Detroit or, or guys that spend, you know, the entire duration of their careers wherever they may be. So maybe it's a chance of he just wants to go out to a different market. Who knows? I mean, why did Pierre-Luc Dubois want out? Why Artemi Panarin wanted the bright lights big city of New York and Bobrovsky wanted sunshine. That's yeah. all he really got based on the fact of what they cut, what Florida has in the pipeline and that young kid that got some playoff time. So I, 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 I don't know, man, I, I, something is, something is in the water in Columbus and guys are in and out. So I think that the next step, you know, bringing back uh, John Davidson is going to help because uh, he was also part of the team that was instrumental in growing that franchise. The fact that they're bringing in, they're going to have to bring in a new coach that um, maybe guys are waiting to see what happens there and who, who comes in to make their decisions. Maybe that's what Seth is waiting on. So, that could be, that could be. And it's, it's obviously there's guys who want to get, first of all, I should have scratched out Matt, Matt Duchesne from that list of uh, high end talent. Well, Dutch was a rental anyway. That guy. Oh my God. He hasn't done anything. Um, they were much better off letting him go somewhere else. But um, you know, there are guys like you mentioned, John Davidson, he was talking about how he couldn't wait to get back to Columbus. He was, he and his, you know, as they were driving back into Columbus, he was talking about how excited it was, all their old friends and what a great quality of life they have. Yep. Nick Felino's coming back. I almost, I would think that he's going to come back. Um, you know, there are some guys that really, they have players who stay, you know, after their playing days are over and stick around, you know, yeah. um, but I, I guess it's not for everybody. That's, um, you know, that's a, it's, it's, you know, they have the same challenges in places like Edmonton and Winnipeg and 
Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the other thing, too, is you look at a guy like uh, Felino and he goes home to Toronto. Maybe he's there. And, and, and how much of Felino's decision is made based off of what Toronto tells him. So Toronto yeah. could be look at him and go, look, we're not going to resign you. They can't. They don't have the money to resign. Right. Yeah. So then, I mean, unless you're willing to take a, uh, a team friendly deal to stay, you know, thank you. You know, thanks for your services. Yeah. And then he comes back to Columbus and they write off and do whatever. Right? right. But then, you know, all these things, there's like a domino effect. If he looks and says, oh, shoot, Seth Jones is not sticking around. And well, maybe I'll go sign a two year deal somewhere and then come back and do a victory lap in Columbus later, you know, that type of thing. Right. Um, it's always possible. But it'll be interesting. And we get Aaron Portsline back in two weeks. We're going to have to ask him about this quote from John Davidson. There was an agreement to keep the discussions private. The Blue Jackets will continue to keep things private. So I just want to ask him about uh, what it's like working in the media. And obviously, Elliot, somebody told Elliot Friedman something. And what's it like, especially this time of year, you know, when all the contract negotiations are going on and people are feeding you information and not saying it's not good information, but you know that they're using you to put something out there to get leverage in a negotiation or something like that. It's going to be a, an John interesting David, time. John to be Davidson was just let go from a place where the owner took the reins of the microphone and didn't care what he said. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, is that a knock at, at ownership in New York? Possible. Yeah, could be. But, well, shocking news last week is Robert Morris University discontinued both the men's and women's NCAA Division I hockey programs. The school said they will honor scholarships for athletes that wish to continue their studies, but the news comes late for players who wish to continue their playing careers at another school. There has already been so much activity in the transfer portal, many teams have already filled open roster and scholarship spots. This news seemed to come out of nowhere. Last summer, we talked to a pair of Colonials from the Cleveland area, in Spellacy and Quinn Wormuth. And Wormuth Total Ohio Hockey Digest, the news came out of nowhere. It was last Wednesday at around, uh, I believe it was like 1 o'clock. All of us got an uh, automated just like text message that basically said uh, from RMU Athletics, it said that we had a, you know, an important Zoom meeting at uh, 1.45. Uh, then, you know, we hop on the Zoom call. Uh, all of our mics are muted. We can't turn our cameras on. We can't say anything. Second Zoom call turns on. President Howard is already talking um, and says basically, um, you know, we, it's uh, it's a sad day here at Robert Morris, but we've decided to discontinue our men's and women's uh, Division One hockey programs. The AD came on and said, you know, we'll help you, uh, you know, with whatever you need. But at that point, to get news like that, you're not really listening to anything else besides what you've worked, you know, 20 years, 19 years of your life to accomplish to become a division one player is to have it ripped away off uh, a zoom call. That's 10 minutes long and they didn't take any questions or really have anything else to say. And not only the players, but, you know, you have someone like Derek who has given, you know, 18 years of his life to building this program from scratch. And he found out, 15 minutes before the rest of the team did as well, oh, as, well yeah. as our other coaches. And, you know, that's, that's a, you know, completely disrespectful in my opinion to someone who's given their life to build, 
you know, a, a successful and a competitive Division One program. And, you know, yeah. obviously, I just, I just find that to be unacceptable. So, given my life to hockey, and I am not ready to be done. So, um, obviously, I'm looking at all options or seeing what's available. But like you said, that you know, putting us in the in the position where it's May 26th and the uh, news comes out that you don't have a place to play, not only when there's about 300 players in the transfer portal, and, um, you know, it's, it's harder to play Division One college hockey than ever. Um, it's a pretty tough spot to be in, as well as, you know, a lot of these schools, they don't have any money left. And, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of scholarships to be given out. So, And, you know, not only that, but say that I was just going to, you know, stop, stop playing and I just wanted to, you know, transfer to OSU or Ohio University or another school like that, it's already too late to do that. You know, the deadlines for that were May 1st. So it just doesn't seem like, you know, the student athlete perspective and was considered at all from the position that they would be putting us in after they made this announcement. And, you know, this announcement or this decision is not something that is made overnight, in my opinion. And I feel like they, you know, had the knowledge of it long before they told us. And, that's what hurts the most is that I, I, I do feel like it was, you know, kind of calculated when they did it, you know. Here was an interesting tweet by Murray Gunty, the owner of Black Bear Sports Group on May 30th. I will buy the rink if the school will sell it to us, and we will make sure RMU men's and women's hockey have a permanent home to play. Black Bear Sports Group invests in sports and entertainment facilities and hockey tournaments and owns a portfolio of junior hockey teams that includes the Youngstown Phantoms. I, I just, the, the only thing I can tell you on this is it's a shame. It's a shame in how it went down. And, and uh, my heart goes out to those kids that, that went there to play hockey and now they have nowhere to play. For and, sure. And this late in the game to try to move on. Yeah. The timing is just horrible. Yes. And then we did reach out to uh, Robert Morris head coach, Derek Schooley. And he said, he's not, in a place where he wants to come on a podcast yet, but maybe in a couple of weeks. So we're going to circle back with him yeah. uh, in a little bit. Tryouts for the United States women's national team are going on this week at National Sports Center in Blaine, Minnesota, and two former Ohio State Buckeyes are participating. Defenseman Jincy Dunn and forward Liz Sheppers are part of the camp, which will be used to trim a group of 40 players down to 28 that will continue to train together in preparation for the 2022 Olympics. The U.S. women are the defending gold medalists and have won gold in eight of the last nine world championships. They will try to make it nine out of 10, August 20th through the 31st in Canada. I believe that's in Calgary, too. Is it? I believe I read that uh, this morning that, that the women are playing in Calgary. Okay. So at least Western Canada got on, the, got on board with it. Before we get to our second round predictions for the NHL playoffs, any thoughts on the Game 7 in Toronto Monday night? Anything, anyone, anyone, Bueller, Bueller? I, I will say this. This is what, uh, like, talk radio and sports, and I don't know if this is because I grew up listening to Boston sports media. The negative is always so much more entertaining to listen to. So I know you listen to TSN. I do as well. So I get in. I usually listen to it in my car on my way to work. Mm-hmm. I dial up, and they've got all the stations there, and there's Montreal and there's Toronto. I don't listen to Montreal. I listen <laughs> I, what are they saying in Toronto? Because they were not only were they heavily favored, up three games to one, and they lose three straight games, two of them at home, 
And one of the one of the quotes, who's who said we didn't show up, we didn't start on time or something like that? Yeah. It's game seven. Montreal, Toronto for the first time in 40 years. And you've lost in the first round of the playoffs the last four years. And you didn't show you got to off to a slow start. You weren't ready to there is going to be a very long post-mortem going on in Toronto over what, what happened. As I, I listened to uh, Andrew Raycroft this afternoon uh, talking on NHL uh, radio, he said, uh, this isn't going to be a very fun offseason for those guys. Oh, my God. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with a friend of ours that is a huge Montreal fan, and – he was shocked by the outcome as well, even though he's a, a Montreal fan. And I look at Edmonton's departure from the playoffs. And they were supposed oh. to, you know, blow through Winnipeg, who was, you know, come, yeah. like a seven-game losing streak or something coming in the playoffs. Look, if you don't have secondary scoring, if you don't have a third line, and and no disrespect, none to guys like Joe Thornton or, or uh, uh, Spezza or, or Wayne Simmons, but all they had to do was shut down two guys one goal from that's all you had to shut down all, you had to do, all they had to do was shut down uh mcdavid and dry settle and they did it winnipeg well they it. got half their payroll in four guys if you stop I, those three of those four guys i i and and shame on ownership shame on management for is for wayne simmons going to score but is, you, you put and not to say you put all your eggs in one basket i know this is so much harder and di- more difficult to do than, than what we're talking about <laughs> is but Carey Price won, yeah. played lights out, which he's supposed to. He's a he's he's what did they say? Out of oh god, how many goals yeah, make over ten million? Make over ten million dollars? Or no, the eighteen highest paid players then. Yes, he's the only yeah. one still standing. That's so yeah. the, the the fact that uh, Mitch didn't score hasn't scored in eighteen games. All right, I mean. All you need to do was shut those two guys down, and you're going to let, try to let William Nylander beat you. That's yeah. their goal scoring output. John Tavares is out with injury, and and Montreal played as a unit. What do you, and you have excellent goaltending. Not to say that, that that Jack Campbell, Jack Campbell played phenomenally, mm-hmm. phenomenally. You cannot blame goaltending on this. Well, right. there are some goals that were he'd like to have back, but regardless of that, yeah. I just think that it was an entertaining series and the better team in this case won, and no different in Winnipeg and Edmonton, the better team team won. I mean, yeah. I'm watching McDavid try to ramp up from behind the net and so on. <laughs> he ain't getting past the blue line. And so yeah. it's, it's a, the, the playoffs is a different animal. And, and, you know, even, even our buddy uh, Alex is finding that out. Yep. And it's and a, it is a, yeah, I'm not saying Alex is at fault in the Carolina series whatsoever. He's not. Oh no! It's a different beast, right? But it, it's you know building a team in the uh, cap era. If you get all your money tied up in three or four star players, you're in trouble. You 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 got to fill out the roster with some you know some crumbs. True. You know not to call Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton crumbs or anything like that, no, but they're not. He's 43 or something like that, isn't he? And he looked every bit of it. <laughs> he did. He. There was the. It well, it was the first. It was at the first game that uh, he and uh, the Finnish defenseman there. They misconnected. You know, they were on the power play, 
and uh, Thornton couldn't pick up the pass, and then Gallagher went the other way and scored the shorty where he was diving. Yeah, I'm sorry, Byron. Byron. That wasn't that. Wasn't that the spinorama from Galchenik? No. Gave a breakaway pass? No. That was in thinking game six, I think. I'm thinking of something else, yeah. Okay. But, but anyway. I know one guy in Cleveland who's happy that Montreal won. Yeah, there's only one guy, actually. Robbie, are you listening? There's only one guy in Cleveland that's happy. Are you Montreal. listening? Because they're going to get Boston in the uh, semis, and the Bruins are going to take him out. Ooh, Ooh. You think so, huh? East Coast. You think so? Bruins are looking good. So let's talk about the second-round matchups. Okay, go ahead. Boston, Boston Islanders. I don't, think uh, the, I, I don't think the Islanders have the depth to compete with Boston. However, I can't stand Boston either. Well, that goes to the brother of the Habs fan. Tough. Right. The uh, the perfection line has been living up to their name so far. They've been playing great. They uh, lost it. Well, they were down 3-1, so they came back and forced overtime in game two. Yeah, but they lost, so that's that's tied up. But I'm I'm feeling pretty good about the Bruins right now. I'm gonna be honest. I I hesitantly agree with you on that. Yeah, they're looking good. They're looking good. Now you got Tampa Bay, Carolina. Tampa Bay added, oh. I say added, brought back for the playoffs. Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov. Pretty good couple I'm guys to sh- get back. On. <laughs> I'm calling shenanigans. Not too shabby, <laughs> right there. Hey man, Salary the, GM, the GMs, the GMs had to make it work. Okay. Well, they made it work. They made well, it they work. They definitely perfectly. did. I mean, but I, I think it's going to be an uphill climb for Carolina with all that firepower in Tampa. When they um, said, uh, what, "Where do you, pro- Carolina, yeah, what do you project as a return date for uh, Kucherov and Stamkos?" And they said, "What? When's the playoffs start again?" <laughs> but if you don't need, it's, it's right no, about then. <laughs> it, it, but look, if you look at Toronto and when Tavares goes down, technically could he probably have played game seven? Yes. If that was Stanley Cup finals going into game seven, maybe. Could Tavares have played in game seven? Yeah. No. If Tavares was able to play, he would have played in this game seven. He was out there for practice. Well, that's different than... Under that same guy's... How can you call shenanigans on Tampa? Well, there's no advantage to not having Tavares come back until – I mean, what's the advantage to – the reason they held uh, Kucherov and Stamkos out was because they would count against the salary cap if they played before the playoffs started. And they didn't have room for them. So they kept them on injured reserve until the playoffs started when the cap no longer is in effect. True. And suddenly – Fair. Suddenly – you know, they points, were rejuvenated. Nine points later. Nine points and four games later. Leading the league in playoff points. All right, yeah. let's go. Let's go on to the 1976 Russian Red Army, that being the Colorado Avalanche up against the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, I have a little bit of insight into this one because a friend of the show, uh, his nephew plays for the Los Angeles Kings, and he's, his game uh, that he played in, his NHL debut was against Colorado, and he speaks very, very highly of the <laughs> Colorado Avalanche. I would too. I well, mean, we talked about the, you know Toronto getting edged out, and Mitch Marner all of a sudden not being able. It's a different game in the playoffs. They don't call stuff. It's way more physical, and all of a sudden, Mitch Marner. How much does he weigh? One sixty-five. Uh, he disappears. Yeah, he disappears. What is uh, Nathan McKinnon is not just 
you know, he's not an, an elusive skater. Not, that dude is he's, strong. He's not 165 pounds for sure. No. And the best part was, so our buddy that, that played for LA, the game he played in, Landis Cog didn't play and McKinnon didn't play. And they still tic-tac-toed. And, and no disrespect to LA, they still tic-tac-toed around LA. Yeah. And so, I mean, I don't know if Colorado's going on a, on a, on a victory lap here, but I, I say that, and, and I'm yeah. a big Mark Andre fan, but that's a lot of firepower, man. I mean, that team is built for this moment, and it's been a long time coming in Colorado. Yeah. Well, what was it after game one? Seven to one? Seven to one. Now, in fairness, Colorado's had some time off. They, they spoke on uh, NHL radio about rust versus uh, rest. Mm. Colorado rested. Yes, yeah. but that's that's still a very loud message that was sent. <laughs> and and I, I watched a, a press conference with Mark Andre when he uh, was nominated for a Vesna, and uh, he said he felt horrible for Robin Leonard because it's like they threw him right to the Lions. I mean, he's like, we we did not play well, and Robin, you know, stood in there like a champ and and did all that. Yeah. But yeah. Anyways, last on the I'm list. Not- how much are they going to have to pay? First of all, how much are they going to? So, uh, Kale McCarr is on his entry level contract. How much are they going to have to pay him starting uh, next year? Kale McCarr is set for life. <laughs> End of story. Uh, no matter what he would do, if he decided he wanted out of Colorado, it's, I mean, he, what is it? Is it coming out of your rookie contract? You're an RFA, correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, they're, they, I mean, the one that could be the odd man out in Colorado could end up being the captain, Gabriel Landeskog. Mm. Unless he loves being there and he takes a team-friendly deal. And, yes, my information's coming from the TV. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what Elliot Friedman said, and that's what a lot of them have said. So, I don't and know, man, but they're, they're you know, and, and I believe uh, Grubauer is a UFA at, at year's end, too. Unrestricted, yeah. Yep, yep. So oh. he can walk if he wants. But just uh, one note, we talk about player development a lot. Kale McCarr played junior A his draft year, went back and played his sophomore, you know, killed it as a freshman, went back and played his sophomore year at UMass. Didn't rush his way to the National Hockey League. Same thing that Quinn Hughes did. And that goes along with the conversations that have to be had from coaches, player, family, advisor scout or advisor scout and uh agent to say you know you're not going to hurt yourself staying you're only going to improve and good on him i mean the kid is i mean he he's the equivalent to a point guard in the in the 90s basketball era that was just learning to turn guys inside out and break ankles i mean he's doing it on ridiculous feet ridiculous feet oh he's such an amazing skater and very coachable too from what Mm -hmm. i heard on the on tv uh, so, last but least, last but not least, the Les Canadiens of Montreal the and, and the Winnipeg Jets. Winnipeg's Winnipeg. been, so you talked about Russ versus rest. Winnipeg's been sitting around for a while. They're the better team on paper, but Toronto is way better on paper too. So I don't know. Connor Hellebuck. Hey, how about this? Connor Hellebuck, not a finalist for the Vesna, right? Correct. Does that put a bee in his bonnet? He's ready to go out there and and uh, win that series to prove some people wrong. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. I think the the mustache brought out the old school in you because the bee in the bonnet, bee in the bonnet. is fantastic. He's feeling a bee in the bonnet. 
I, I think that the fact that he was able to help keep uh, the 104 point Connor McDavid at bay for four straight games, he seems to be a little bit fired up. And as we talked about numerous times already today, is that you know playoffs are different is it's a different animal, and those guys that have played and have playoff experience and they understand what it takes to rise to that occasion. And Connor Hellebuck is doing it. Yeah. And can does Montreal have the scoring? They 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 don't have the scoring, but they've got to be feeling really good right now. Um, I'm going to interject. Yes, we're recording um, Wednesday, June second. What's the score now? Canadians are up three to one at the end of the first period. No, rust, rust, twelve first rest, twelve shots on goal for the Canadians. Montreal? How many three does, have how gone many, in? How many is Winnipeg have? Eleven. Okay. Well. Maybe they I retract my be in the bonnet comment, or is that out there? <laughs> Do not edit that out. <laughs> so, well, it's know. a seven game series. So let's say if it goes to seven game, you got you've got uh, one one goalie you're going to pick, Hellebuck or Price in a game seven. Who do you think is going to get it done? Who do I think? From yeah, a goaltending standpoint. Yeah, he already, he already proved it in the hardest market you're able to do it in. Yeah, Carey Price. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And I think Carey Price is going to be uh, auditioning for his next role and wherever he ends up going. Oh, okay. That's my thought. Well, he's a different goalie in the postseason. And that is that's coming from somebody who has him on his bench all year in the in the fantasy league because he wasn't startable. But uh, he, he shows up. He did it last year, too. Beat Pittsburgh. Yeah. There was a, there was a guy, a media guy that said that he was, I forgot, God, what was, he was covering a, a playoff series or maybe it was a hockey Canada thing. And it was a TV timeout and he caught Kerry Price yawning. <laughs> he's like, the guy just doesn't get phased. He's just even keel and he's just yeah. there to do his job. And yeah. he's an ex, uh, amazing goaltender for sure. And the press, the, I don't know if you saw the post game press conference, you would have thought he was on the losing side. He was just oh my. even keel. My uh, somebody was watching the game with me. Uh, says to me, he didn't give them anything. I go that that's if you're in that Canadian market in Toronto and Montreal where they are. I mean, there's days I feel bad for him because he can't do anything or go anywhere without being hounded, and they're not going right. to leave you alone. And right. he just feeds them nothing. He's used to being grilled for losing. So why right. give him anything different when they're winning? Yeah, I, I I appreciate Carey Price for a lot of that stuff. I bet, uh, yeah, in the waning moments of Game Seven, I bet I bet Robbie's Witten's heart rate was higher than Carey Price's was. Just even keel. Uh, oh yeah, I guarantee he was as cool as a cucumber because, right. uh, I mean, one, he's not playing, and two, he's not an <laughs> overexcitable guy to begin with. I will not tell you the text message that I received from him <laughs> when he knew the game was uh, in hand, but uh, it was, uh, I believe it said, holy expletive, 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 expletive. <laughs> and I said, you're shocked by this? He goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, here's hoping there's a, uh, that was Boston, or I'm sorry, Montreal, Toronto for the first time since 1979. Here's hoping that there can be a Boston, Montreal, Stanley Cup final for the first time. God, that'll be the first, first time. Ever. First time in so many years, I don't even watch the finals. 
Uh, if Montreal wins this round, it just their the the parade route is planned. Yeah. Well, hopefully the Bruins don't have too many men on the ice this time. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Ah, exciting hockey. Exciting hockey. Yep. It's, the best, it's the best time of the year. It's time to get on air with our first guest, the head coach of the Columbus Mavericks of the USPHL, Mr. Nate Handerhan. Nate Handerhan grew up playing hockey in Ontario and was able to use his hockey skill to secure an NCAA scholarship at Niagara University. After one year in the pro ranks, he turned to coaching and had a 14-year career in the NCAA coaching ranks, including nine years as a head coach of the women's program at Robert Morris and Ohio State. In 2020, he found himself back behind the bench, this time with the Columbus Mavericks, who were just coming off their inaugural season in the United States professional professional. I do that all the time. In 2020, he found himself back behind the bench, this time with the Columbus Mavericks, who were just coming off their inaugural season in the USPHL. Please welcome to the On Air Podcast, Nate Hanrahan. Coach, how are you tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. We greatly appreciate you taking the time to uh, be with us here tonight. I'm looking forward to this. I, uh, I appreciate the stuff that you guys do uh, across Ohio hockey and promoting all levels. I think it's awesome. I think that uh, the more people that are fired up about our sport, uh, the better. Absolutely. Well, we, we want to jump right in both feet. Can you give us your background in hockey and how you came to be? I mean, I know obviously there are going to be a lot of steps in this, but you started out in Ontario. You worked your way to Niagara University for uh, in, in NCAA. You got your start where in Ontario? I'm originally from Niagara Falls, Ontario. I uh, grew up playing uh, my hometown. I was very fortunate to be able to do that. I don't think a lot of a lot of guys get that chance. They got to go away from home, uh, but played AAA all the way growing up, and um, you know played my junior hockey in Niagara Falls and, and junior B at the time, the Niagara Falls Canucks, and had some good fortune there. Um, was drafted by my hometown OHL team, the Niagara Falls Thunder. I was on the fence as to whether or not I was going to go and play collegiately or go and play in the OHL, which many of my teammates and friends ended up doing. Um, I was kind of a little bit of an outlier in going the collegiate route. Um, I felt like I was a better fit for me. Um, but my hometown team felt like they wanted to take a flyer on me late and uh, and got me into camp a couple of different times, which was great to kind of measure myself. But it actually brought me to Niagara University. The assistant GM and assistant coach of the Niagara Falls Thunder at the time was Dave Burkholder. And he took an assistant coaching job at Niagara for, with Blaze McDonald at the time. And as they were starting the program from scratch, that's how they reached out to me. It was because uh, Berkey knew of me. And, you know, it was kind of funny in the OHL process. You know, there was a, back in the day, they used to sit down with these young kids and put contracts across the table from them. And, the kids are really just excited to have an opportunity to sign a contract and they don't particularly read it. Their parents aren't there. And, you know, they sign their, sign their opportunity to play in the OHL, which, you know, is great. It's awesome. It's, you know, the development league is, is wonderful. Um, but I sat down and, and Berkey and, and his good friend, Chris Johnstone, who was the head coach at the time. They said, you want to play for us? And I said, no, nah, I think I'm going to college. They're like, okay, cool. And, uh, <laughs> You know, it just kind of led They're down. Put the full court press on you there. 
<laughs> yeah, they actually did it. They paired me up in camp with Jay McKee, and oh. uh, he put a full, pretty good press on me when we were in the middle of training camp. But um, at the same time, you know, I it was awesome to to be drafted. It was awesome to have the experience to measure myself against those other guys that some of which ended up going on and playing a long time in the NHL. And, um, and it brought me to where I was at Niagara. And I think that everything happens for a reason. And my years at Niagara were uh, very memorable and uh, it's nothing like starting a program for scratch from scratch. I think that's why I kind of gravitate towards that a little bit throughout my coaching career. It's always been, seems to be part of, what it is that I do and what it is that I get involved with. So, so you, after Niagara, you spent a year in Roanoke in the East coast hockey league. What yeah. Was, Roanoke what, Express. Was the, what was the experience? All right. So from going from the OHL to Niagara, was there that big of a jump for you? And then going from Niagara to the East coast, was that a big jump for you as well? Uh, it was a, it was an interesting kind of stepwise development. It's probably the best, case scenario for me i mean i playing junior b in ontario at the time was on par our club we had you know ohl guys that played for our team guys that turned down minor pro contracts to play junior b it was a very high level that said going into college hockey you know at the time i'm dating myself but coaches would call me on my home phone to check in with me there was no email there was no cell phones or text messaging or social media so, you know, when they started the program from scratch, I think I grew with the program as well. You know, our schedule allowed us to, to play. We had five defensemen my freshman year in college. So I saw a ton of ice time, which, you know, I, I'm not sure in, a, in a, a bigger program that I wouldn't have been able to get that development. I don't know, but I'm grateful for the opportunity and, I kind of grew as the program grew. And by the time I was a senior, I'd played a lot of minutes. I played every game of my college career um, through injury. And, and, and I earned that ice time as well, but I was able to, to do that. And that jump, I, I kind of, by our senior year, we were playing against Michigan and BU and, you know, we're in college hockey. Right. That prepared me substantially for, you know, to be able to play pro hockey in the coast. Um, the schedule was probably the biggest change. Um, playing a 72-game schedule versus 34 games in college hockey, 36 games, and you play Friday, Saturday night um, versus being on a bus for 14 days, playing, you know, seven games in eight nights or <laughs> find, finding the um, – the, the great establishments in Wheeling, West Virginia. <laughs> um, yeah, we had a three-day stint in Wheeling. and um, But that was, you know, th those are, are things that I think players grind through and, and really have to pay their dues to, to be able to make it. Um, I looked around and saw an awful lot of guys that were very good players that were on two- and three-way contracts. And Roanoke was an independent team at the time, so we didn't have an affiliation with anyone in particular. And um, when I got on a call and actually led me to my coaching career was Berkey who started it in the OHL and brought me to Niagara. And then, you know, asked me and to, to join his staff when he took over for blaze at Niagara. And that's how I got back, how I got into coaching. And 
probably could have played a little while and I had a plan to play, you know, a certain amount of time depending on what looks I was getting. Mm-hmm. But um, looking back on it, I mean, I started my coaching career when I was 20 years old and here we are, I'm still doing it. I don't think I'd be playing still. (laughs) (laughs) So that led to opportunities as a head coach uh, in uh, NCAA women's hockey with, we mentioned Ohio State and then uh, Robert Morris as well. Um, This is the Ohio Hockey Podcast, but we're going to focus on Robert Morris with the news that that came out this week. So just what what was your initial reaction when you heard that they're uh, dropping both men's and women's hockey at Robert Morris? Stunned. You know, absolutely stunned. Um, I think a lot of hard work had got in by Derek Schooley, the head coach of the men's team. You know, Paul Colantino took over after uh, I departed, and they've just they've been successful for the institution. And it was really shocking. A lot of answers that, or a lot of lack of answers that you know are starting, I think, to come to light now. But even still, it didn't make it still doesn't make sense to me. Um, I know that this time for institutions is uh, is really hard. You know, enrollment is down across the country in a lot of different places. And those are, you know, those are tough things. But as far as dropping a hockey program, you know, I can't believe that the president slept very well leading up to those decisions. And, and is it true that, and I heard this this afternoon, was that, they just came out in a 10 minute zoom call and said, we're dropping it. I mean, obviously I'm paraphrasing and they did not leave it open for questions and they just said, okay, bye. Click. Yeah. I, I heard sure, that I'm as sure well. There's, I'm sure there's more to it, but that was sure. just what I heard. Yeah, I would assume so, but I, I heard that uh, a little bit as well. Um, just, you know, it's really hard to, that's for, for a group of people in the amount of time, if you've coached anything, you know how much, Coaching isn't a nine to five job. It's something you do every day. It's part of your fabric of who you are and you just don't turn it off. And the amount of hours that the players and the coaches had put into the program to see it just disregarded like that was hurtful. And uh, that's probably where a lot of the emotion comes from is just, it's just not how you would draw in any way. If I was going to teach my kids how you treat people, that's not the way you do it. Right. How, 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 how new was the program when you, the women's program at Robert Morris, when you started coaching it? So I was um, in year two of being an assistant coach for Derek uh, with the men's team. And it was the first year of the women's team. And they had a tumultuous start. And I took over unofficially halfway through my second year. And the assistant coach took the reins, but I ran the day-to-day while I was in town, there was a lot of times I was doing double duty. I'd go on a recruiting trip up in Ontario and I'd schedule my games to go and see, you know, men's games, go see women's games. And I was doing a little bit of everything um, in that second year uh, of my second year at Robert Morris. And then this, the following year I took over full time. So what, what is the path for these players that, you know, they've invested in the university to go to school there and to play hockey there. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's a good majority of the players there that went to go to school to play hockey and then get the education. What is a path that they could take in when the rug is pulled out from underneath them this way? Well, they have a couple of options. One, they can stay at the institution and make the institution honor their scholarship. 
but that basically takes them out of the hockey playing world uh, unless they want to play for the you know non-varsity, the ACHA men's or women's program. Uh, they can transfer to another school, which with the current transfer rules in place, they could have done that anyways at any time. The problem is the late nature of their this decision as they're trying to line up their next spot, they would be doing this second half of the season in maybe January, February, March. That's when those things are happening. So there's a lot of clubs that are probably out there saying, we'd love to have you. We just don't have the room and we don't have the scholarship money for you. Uh, the other option for the men, they could try their hand at playing pro and turn pro. I'm sure there's an awful lot of parents and families that would be like, you're going to make them earn their money and you're going to stay in school and you're going to finish your degree if you don't have good options for yourself beyond that. And you know, when they were doing the, the, the math on it, they yeah. probably figured, well, we have to honor all these scholarships, but how many are going how, to take us up on it? How quickly, yeah. How quickly are they going to, uh, there be the attrition where kids are going to leave. Um, you probably have some senior holdouts that are going to finish their senior year and, you know, maybe don't have a ton of prospects, but with the extra year of eligibility, that those kids have, you never know. You never know where they end up. But the problem in college hockey to me seems like, you know, across Division One certainly is, is just available spots. There's more good players than there are Division One opportunities because you, like, they don't have roster sizes of 40 and 50 guys like football and getting into even bigger ranges. Most college hockey teams are in that 28 to 32 player range. So yeah. – 18 scholarships whacked up. Everyone thinks that you get a full scholarship. There, there aren't very many full scholarships in men's hockey unless you're an NHL prospect and, uh, you know, high, high level player. And it's the timing is so unfortunate because there was so much activity in the transfer portal between Hunt. the re, rela relaxing the rules on transferring and then giving the fifth year. There was just everybody was moving. And now that's all kind of the dust is settled. And then they find out. I also talked to, and we might've mentioned this last week, Iowa Denye, who was a kid from Columbus who was playing at Alabama Huntsville. Same thing happened there. Mm -hmm. He's kind of, I don't know what to do. I'm not, he doesn't want to stay at the school. He wants to go play, but everybody's filled all their spots. Right. It makes it really hard. I, I mean, I've been following the rule changes and the transfer portal closely because in addition to the extra years of eligibility, it has a massive trickle-down effect to our level because if they have to push players back into junior hockey that have eligibility, then then they're going to do that. I, I think that a lot of coaches would take a seasoned uh, veteran on their team for an extra year versus bringing in somebody that's a little green that maybe is an extra year of seasoning. Uh, they're just out of the nature of wolves, but it's, it's so variable across the board as to what teams decided to do, um, institutions, whether they could pay for the scholarships or not, whether or not they had the room, whether they wanted to bring back four guys out of their six or, you know, just, it's all over the, it's all over the map. So I, I think the impact for those guys at Robert Morris is, uh, really, really challenging and unfortunate. Well, to get back into gear, I suppose, I guess, uh, you're with the Columbus Mavericks right now, the USPHL. How did you get to Columbus, or how, how did you get involved with, with the uh, Mavericks, and what was your first impression of the USPHL when you got there? 
Well, uh, prior to being with the Mavericks, I was coaching high school uh, for the Newark Generals um, in the OSHL. Um, prior to that, I had been running my own business, Hammer Hockey Development. We work with defensemen and teams, and we do a variety of different things. But I came across Joe Gillespie, who ended up being one of the owners of the Columbus Mavericks. Him and Joey Rechtenwald um, are partners. And he approached me prior to the first season when they had first um, gotten a hold of a franchise. And the late nature that they got awarded the franchise had me a little bit worried of that they were, we we're going to drink from a fire hose right from the beginning, which <laughs> kind of ended up being the case. The primary reason that I didn't take the step into it at that point was we had just come off winning a state title and finishing third at nationals with the Newark generals team. And I felt like I owed it to the organization and wanted to see the kids and see what we could do into the next season. Um, and it was a great group of kids, great group of families that I had worked with for, for a real long time as one of my clients. So I've seen a lot of these kids develop and grow over a five, six year period. So which fast forward to the next year at the state tournament, we lost in the semis, um, played really well, actually, and probably deserved a better fate, but that's how the cookie crumbles. It turns out it nationals didn't happen. <laughs> um, Cincinnati had won that year and, you know, Joe approached me again. He said, I think we're, uh, you know, we're going to have, have to change and here, what do you think? And, uh, ready to take that step forward. And, I was pleasantly surprised at the level of hockey with the USPHL with such a big league. It's inevitable that there's going to be a substantial gap between the top and the bottom um, with having over 60 teams at the premier level. It just, that's the nature of what it is. But I think it also speaks to how much hockey there is out there and that there's a lot of players trying to make their way and find their way to the next level. And whether that's division one NCAA division three NCAA or ACHA Division One, Two, II, or Three, there's an opportunity for all players to find their space. And um, our division is certainly, I feel, one of the strongest across the league. And having to play Metro, we played them six times last year. Playing Toledo is a great, great organization. Uh, Pittsburgh, Erie, Erie was down a little bit. I think um, they uh, they typically have some imports that come in from overseas. And that that line obviously was there last year, so um, they gave us a we every game we played. They they beat us in our regular season series, and I knew it was going to be a hard fought series in playoffs when we played them. But um, I, you know, again, playing playing in the USPHL Premier is, you know, I think a, for me is has been quite a surprise as to the quality. You guys have an NCDC affiliation. We do with the New Hampshire Monarchs. Okay, and how does it work for for your roster in, in call-ups to them or call-ups to you throughout the season? Yeah, uh, with last year being my first go-around with it and us having to deal with the pandemic, it was, uh, it was tricky and challenging. Um, typically, in any given season, there's a group of players that, you know, by kind of our policy, they need to be up with that, affiliate for at least a week they go in they skate they train uh, if they get game time they get game time if they don't they don't we were fortunate last year to have a player called up and stayed up for the remainder of the year 
Um, so we, we lost the player and, you know, had to backfill through some transactions and trying to figure it out. And I think that, you know, that's my job. I mean, uh, if I'm going to cry in my soup about losing a player up, I mean, that helps <laughs> yeah, my program. Absolutely. So. And who was that player? Trevor Shearer from Hilliard. Nice. So Trevor, Trevor was in the NA, in the NA for a little while. Um, last year, you know, I said there's so much turmoil. He just came in and, and played with us for the first two months of the season, and he was awesome. I mean, he's such a good kid and good leader uh, and, and deserved to go up and stay up. And, and the other uh, avenue for players to be seen or whatever for, for uh, higher levels are, are all the showcases that you play. How many showcases did you play in this year, and what was, what was that like? So we uh, we were supposed to play in three. We ended up playing in two, uh, Boston, Detroit, and Chicago. And we ended up playing in only Detroit and Chicago. Uh, I think the opportunity to be seen in front of a lot of collegiate teams, um, I think a lot of the junior teams were trying to figure figure out what their leagues were doing. You know, I think at the time, uh, the North American League hadn't even started playing when we played in our showcases, so uh, it was a little bit, a little bit tricky, a little bit, of, you know, how to figure out how to get your guys' exposure to that all levels. Um, but Detroit, we had a few guys that ended up ended up playing at and then committing to the places that had seen them in Detroit, and then we had a few others that had some interest in uh, in Chicago, and that bore some fruit for them too. So. So where, where are you getting the majority of your players from and, and how many of those said players are from the Ohio area? Well, we try, we try our best to, um, sorry about that. Um, yeah. we, uh, through my ownership, they, they started us, our, the organization with the idea that they wanted to serve the greater Columbus community, uh, in central Ohio to create opportunity for that. So when I come down to a decision between two players on whether we're going to sign them or not, typically the tipping point is if you played in our region, you know, we're going to have some preference. Um, the reality of that is it's become so competitive where players, you know, not everyone wants to stay home. Not everyone wants to stay in mom and dad's house and play junior hockey. Some want to go and spread their wings and go and play in other places. And that's cool. That I, I believe that we're going to continue to do the right things and, if their junior career ends up being longer than they anticipate, then there's an opportunity for us to see them at the back end of it as well, because they may want to play in front of friends and family, very similar to a lot of players we had this past year that went off and played in Evansville or, you know, Springfield or other places. And they end up with us and they have a real positive experience and their family can be a part of that too. So I would say the bulk of our schedule of our, uh, our, our roster is going to be, you know, Ohio, kids um and i i told my assistant coaches when we're scouting and looking at players we got to be good in our own backyard too we got to know the players that are here and you know help develop be a part of our community uh, at all levels and really try and grow that because i think hockey hockey needs more people pulling in the right direction instead of fighting against the tides against one another and you know you're taking my player you're taking my player and just Whatever's best for the kids and the families, I think, where it needs to that, that mantra needs to keep at the forefront. Exactly. So, um, 
just getting to the, you know, what happened on the ice um, with one year under your belt, uh, what worked last year and what, as you look forward to next season, what, what do you, as a general manager as well? Or do you have I a general am, manager? Yeah. yeah I'm yeah, the general so you're the, so as a, yeah, as hats. the general manager. A lot of hats. A lot of hats. A lot of hats. Oh, yeah. As the general manager, do you sell concessions also during the intermissions? Or? Yeah. Jack, I just watched Chevy Pro last night on Jackie Moon doing the announcing. Yeah. Running the fish toss at intermission. Running promotions. Whatever, yeah. whatever yeah. it takes. Whatever Half it takes. court shot. They haven't asked you to wrestle a bear, I hope. No, no, Spumoni. Spumoni. No. Uh, <laughs> so as a as a, both as a general manager and as a coach, so what worked last year and what are you going to try to tweak in terms of how you put the roster together or what type of system you're going to play? Or... Well, last year we found ourselves in, uh, you know, a unique situation to be able to pull from some college players that were not playing at the ACHA level. So we had two players from Cincinnati, uh, Zimmer and BB that played in Medina that uh, the previous coach had, you know, uh, Daryl and my assistant coach, Brian Thompson had recruited pretty heavily to come and be a part of our club, but they opted to go to college. Well, lo and behold, they're not playing. So all of a sudden they, you know, the phone starts ringing and we start cultivating a, again, that relationship and an opportunity presented itself. So I think that was different than, you know, maybe a, a normal year. Um, I think that in pulling our, putting our team together, we really, tried to work through a few trades, but we really tried to grow and develop the kids that we had. Um, we had some players late in the season, some Canadian kids that, you know, they kept being told all oh, next week, we're going to start next week. We're going to start and next week we're going to start. And sooner or later, they're like, I'm 19 years old. This is my last year. I need to play somewhere. And, um, you know, I started making a few phone calls and kicking some tires to see, if we could acquire a few pieces that we needed and we're going to continue to do that. Um, but at the same time, when we commit and have players in house, we want to see them grow and develop and see what, see where they can go. There's an awful lot of clubs out there that are, you know, they're trying to win and win championships. We're at a very young phase of our franchise. And I think that we want to continue to build with the right people and, and uh, have the right ideas towards how we, how we grow. So how does the roster, how is the roster shaping up for this upcoming season? You have a lot of returners or are, do, does, does your roster show a lot of, I guess, turnover, if you will, guys yeah. move on, guys go to college, guys do other things. So you're constantly bringing in new or how's it shaping up so far? So I think you're always at the, you're always going to have some turnover, obviously with age outs and players that are moving on. I think a couple of things are going to factor. We're going to have a lower number of returning players. Um, and for a couple of reasons, one, one of those reasons is if you looked at our roster, there's a lot of O2s and O1s that had ex more years of eligibility, but some of those guys were those college players that had come back to us. And then there are other groups of younger players that are moving up through development opportunities. So that's a goal of ours as well. My, ownership joe and joey have they have made it clear they they're okay with us turning roster over that's what we need that's what we want um we have some younger players that were with us last year that are you know re-upped with us um that i think 
when I talk to players and families, you know, I'd be honest with them and say, okay, I think this could be a two-year plan with us. And then you move up. But if you feel like you're going to go and take some marketing campaign for players, right? They have advisors, they have all of these different things and the kids want to move up quickly. But if they're, if you're going to take a product to market and it's not ready, eventually it's going to fail before it even gets a sniff. So I try and encourage patients with our guys to try and help them understand, like, just stay with it here. It's okay. Um, if you don't like what we're doing and it's not working, no problem. Then, you know, you can figure out another opportunity, but our player reviews and some of the things that have come back to us, we, we try and ask our players regularly how things are going. How do we get better? And either they're not willing to tell me what, you know, what's up or everything has, you know, been, we've been moving in a positive direction. So um, right now, the other interesting thing about this year is, and it's no disrespect in any way, shape or form to the NHL or the USHL, those clubs didn't operate last year in the same way that they have. And they are tuition free leagues that have to drive revenue. So from a camp perspective, there's an awful lot of kids that are going to main camps in the NA where in an even season, maybe they have six teams, maybe they have eight teams, but maybe this year they're like, we're wide open. How many of our kids we can get to sign up? We're going to get them to sign up. And what, what that's done is for us is it's made kids a little bit more reluctant to pull the trigger at our level. And even though we may talk about, Hey, listen, we want to see you move up. We never see you. We have a sign. So you have a fallback place to play. And to be honest, if we were talking to guys that were reaching to play at the USPHL premier, probably not going to be as quality a team as I'd like us to be. So we're going to sit in the weeds a little bit and try and cultivate, continue to cultivate relationships with the guys that are, you know, working to try and find homes on those NA teams or the NCDC teams. And then, you know, August is going to be a busy month for me. So talking about the, the summer uh, schedule for you and where you go out and, you know, are you, what are your plans for scouting? What's your recruiting schedule? <clears throat> Do you have any uh, tryouts? on the calendar right now. Are we going to see you at Winterhurst again? Um, so we had, we were at the Detroit and Chicago USPHL combines. I just got back from uh, Denver and the CCM 200 by 85 showcase that was out there. Um, we have plans uh, to be at a couple other events through the summertime. We have a free agent camp on the 17th of June, which is a single day event. We have a prospect event uh, the 20th, 5th and 26th of June, which is a two-day event for more guys that are coming in from potentially further further away. And then uh, our main camp is going to be in July, the 16th and 17th of July. Um, we did not make a decision to go up into Cleveland this year. Um, one of the primary reasons is my owners bought the Buffalo franchise. So we're going to work in unison together and try and be available at each other's events so that uh, we can get some looks at players from the Buffalo area and they can do the same down here in Ohio for those guys that don't want to stay at home and play hockey. So Buffalo guys that feel that way, we have a nice opportunity for you. And the Columbus guys that feel that way, we have the same. That's a tier three uh, premier team. Yep. In Buffalo yep. as well. Same level. Yep. How's that cross promotion? 
promotion on to work out your games and their games. This is going to be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe we're case actually beer, maybe case of beer on the line for that game. I don't know. Chicken wings, maybe. maybe a few <laughs> um, haven't been up in that area a lot. Uh, and being from there, it's funny. I I got a few text messages when uh, it's amazing how the rumor mill starts. I start hearing like, oh, I heard you're going to I'm like, That's right. what are you talking about? <laughs> oh. well, We're actually going to head up there this year um, for a, a preseason kickoff uh, and play a couple exhibition games up there at in Buffalo to uh, to start our season uh, at the beginning of September. How many of your friends going to come down and just heckle the bejesus out of you while you're coaching? That's going to be fantastic. Well, if they can cross the border, all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, we can't thank you enough for for taking the time, spending it with us tonight. Uh, you, you've you've had a hell of a career so far in the coaching ranks. You're doing great things in Columbus. We're just very fortunate to have you on here today, and and best of luck uh, in this hopefully normal upcoming season. I appreciate it, guys. Keep doing what you're doing. I uh, I listen to your podcast, and I I appreciate what you do for hockey in Ohio. Thank you very much. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it. It's time to get on air with our next guest, the co-owner of the Worcester Oilers Junior Hockey Club, Marty Kerr, and GM and head coach, Jordan Romer. In 2019, after nine years operating out of Alice Noble Ice Arena, the Worcester Oilers Junior Hockey franchise went away. After a year without a hockey team, a group of people came together to breathe new life into the franchise, and the Oilers returned to the ice in 2020-2021. We have Two of those people with us here tonight, co-owner Marty Kerr and GM head coach Jordan Romer. Welcome to the On Air Podcast, gentlemen. Hey, thank you. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're going to get right out of the gate, Marty, with you. Could you give us a quick history of junior hockey in Worcester and the effort to bring the team back after a year hiatus? Oh, I'm not I'm not sure if that's quick, but I'll do my best. Um so, so junior hockey in Worcester uh, dates back to actually when Alice Noble Ice Arena was built. Um, originally, there was a tier two program there in Worcester um, all the way through, I believe, 2010. Um, and, and that's around the time that uh, uh, Coach Romer was playing. Um, and they actually won a national championship during that time. Um, and then uh, after that, there was a brief stint with the uh, um, NA3. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, we moved as well as most of the teams in the USPHL Great Lakes division to the USPHL, um, in tier three. So, um, Worcester's always had a strong hockey program and, and it's very interesting because those who haven't been to Worcester, I always say it's the most interesting little city in Ohio and I've been all over this state. And, and it's funny because, you know, if, if you think about Ohio, most people think about the 71 corridor, right. From Cincinnati to Cleveland. And it's like, you go halfway between Cleveland and Columbus on route 83, you turn right and you go through about 10 miles of cornfields. And then there's a city all of a sudden. You know, um, and, and that's Worcester and it's a city with a major college. And, and uh, back in 2003, um, Don Noble or I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, Don Noble uh, senior had actually he was a former CEO of Rubbermaid and he actually built uh, the Alice Noble Ice Arena and named it after his wife, Alice. Um, and it's funny because if you ever look a uh, fun fact about Worcester, if you look at it, an aerial view of the rank, um, it actually spells out a W 
for Worcester. So uh, we always call it the biggest love letter ever written. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, and, and, and so part of the background with the Oilers is so uh, it was what, two years ago? Gosh, it, it, you know, 2020 has me all thrown off right now. Um, the uh, Alice Noel Ice Arena was going to be handed back over to the Worcester City Schools um, because at that point, uh, the Noble Foundation, which operates the ice arena, was running at a deficit. Um, and so they were going to actually, you know, they were making a, a simple business decision. They said, we can't keep losing $150,000 a year. Um, and there was a strong uh, youth organization there, as well as a strong figure skating organization. There were adult leagues there, plus the Oilers. Um, but the owners, the ownership of the Oilers at the time, um, they were having trouble putting a team together uh, for a myriad of reasons. And um, so they, they had taken the season off. Well, during that time, uh, a group of people, uh, myself and, and one of the owners, Eric Robinson, uh, being part of them, had gotten together. And we actually raised, um, with a lot of help from the local community, we raised $200,000 in pledges over three years. So that's $600,000 total. And part of that, we formed a business council, which now has, um, with you know Seth Greenberg kind of like running from the front um, because he is a general manager at Alice Noble. Um, we're actually, uh, you know, running very well uh, in the black this year during COVID. Um, wow. So not only is Alice Noble going forward, um, there's all sorts of uh, capital projects underway. We built a girls locker room this year. And, and yes, we were able to, uh, with a lot of help and, and a lot of, uh, prayers during COVID, um, we were able to bring back the junior hockey to Worcester, Ohio. And it, it's been a fantastic ride this year. And coach, you, uh, uh, Marty mentioned you played for the Oilers about 10 years ago. Uh, and then you went on to play and coach at Eastern Michigan. Uh, Marty makes it sound like a very quaint community. What, did, what about your stint in Worcester as a player made an impression on you and made you want to come back and coach? I think that is the biggest thing is the community and, and how much everybody makes you feel like family and, and really kind of takes you under their wing and, and looks out for you. Um, my first year that I played here, um, I came down middle of the season. Um, and I actually said to my mom, when, uh, when we pulled into Worcester, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to stay here. I don't know if this is, is what I'm looking for as an 18 year old kid moving to a different country for the first time and, and things like that. And, and very quickly, I skated out on the ice for warm-ups for my first game and, and just looking in the stands and seeing it packed for, for warm-up and, and the crowd kind of getting into it and, and dancing with the songs and, and stuff like that, throwing pucks over the glass to the kids and, and things like that kind of just reassured what, what I, everything that I had heard from, from a couple of my buddies that were playing down here, um, that it is – I. Truly to this day, I still think it's one of the best places to play tier three junior hockey in the country. Um, even last year in COVID, um, we sold out to, to what we were allowed to sell out. Um, all of our, all of our games, except for basically one makeup Thursday afternoon, one o'clock puck drop game. Um, and even for that game, we were over 90 fans. Um, it's walking through town as a, as one of the players, um, I can remember having little kids come up to me in Walmart asking for autographs and, and things like that. So you awesome. kind of feel like you're, uh, you're you're playing at a bigger level than you are in the tier three level in Worcester. And part of that is the community um, really supports the team and, and it's the Ohio hockey knowledge. They, they don't understand that we are a tier three team and, 
And most of these guys are just looking to go to school and, and kind of play as long as they can play. They're, they're not going to be getting a big paycheck that they're going to be able to live off of or, or anything like that. And, and while they're here, they, they truly do feel like, like they are that big guy or the big dog on a big team and, and things like that. How similar to Wooster is, was Ypsilanti to you? Completely different. Was it? Completely different. Absolutely. Yeah. Completely different. Ipsy, Ypsilanti, yeah, it's its own town, but it's kind of grouped in with Ann Arbor now. Um, so you kind of get the the carryover from Ann Arbor and U of M and, and things like that. And Worcester, um, I, I could walk around in Ipsy with my with my Eastern hockey jacket on and, and people didn't even know Eastern had a hockey team for some at some points. And um, here in Worcester, I mean, I'll, I'll walk into Walmart even now without my jacket or, or a shirt on and and people still recognize who I am to this day. And, and from my playing days, and people that weren't even in the rink last year, they were didn't want to come with COVID. And um, I've heard a lot leading up to next year. Hopefully these restrictions can can stay where they're at now. And, and people are, are already talking about coming to games. And um, Marty and I kind of talked a little bit about home opener. And, and I've kind of reassured. I'm like, I don't think it's going to be a problem selling out the home opener. It's going to be getting the people to come back um, for games two through 24 um, or 22, sorry, at home. But um, even those, I mean, this community is, is special and it's it's a town of its own. That's awesome. So to both you guys, a year ago, you're, you're putting together an operation and a roster from scratch. What were the key elements of the foundation you were trying to lay down and how successful do you guys think you were? The biggest things for me were number one was make sure we have enough guys to play. Um, that was first and foremost. I want to make sure we have a roster that, that we can ice a team and, and we're not in the same situation that the team was the year before. Um, and then once we got the guys, we got the team, it was starting to establish our culture, um, starting to establish our work ethic that we like and, and little things like that. And to be honest, I, I, I think we did a lot of good things this year. And, and I think that we did a lot of things that, that was a learning experience that we can learn on and, and uh, moving forward, we, we now have a plan in place that we're able to fix those things. And uh, as an organization, we're extremely excited for the 21, 22 season and moving forward. And um, just kind of the big thing here, um, the big thing that I was looking for in a junior team. And, and I, I tell guys all the time when uh, I first interviewed with Marty and Eric, I was almost interviewing them as well to, to make sure that what they wanted with tier three aligned with how I wanted to, to coach a tier three team and, and run a tier three team. And, and first and foremost, I was for the players um, at the tier three level. My opinion is it's all about development, both on and off the ice and then helping guys advance, creating as many opportunities, whether that's tier two college, NCAA, CHA, it, it doesn't matter. Um, to me, it's just getting guys to the next level, getting guys the looks that they can get, um, and helping guys out. And, and we all know that some of these guys, 16, 17 years old, moving away from home, it's, it's a learning experience for them and, and kind of easing them, them into what junior hockey is and, and what the, how, how difficult it really is. And how about the, uh, on the business side, Marty, I know it's kind of unfair to set the baseline in a, during a COVID pandemic. Well, it, but. It, it, it's very difficult. You know, uh, we, we had, uh, I mean, little to no information. Eric and I had no idea what we 
were getting into. Um, and, and it's funny because when, when Eric and I first decided to do this, you know, I, I'm a business guy. I'm an accountant and a lawyer. Um, I'm probably the most boring person in the world and I can't even ice skate guys. Uh, so there's, there's your fun little fact for the podcast is that I, I own a junior hockey team. I can't skate. Um, Jordan makes fun of me for this all the time, but I love this sport and I love the boys. And, and the thing is, is that, um, you know, coming at it from a business standpoint, I said to Eric, when we first put this together, I said, if anyone walked into my office with this as a business proposal, I would laugh them out of my office, down the hallway, down the stairs, into the parking lot, and probably all the way out, out of the parking lot, right? Um, and, and, you know, but when I said, you know, when we decided to go forward, I said, you know what, to heck with it, we're going to have the best time ever, right? That's, that's the only way this is going to be worth it. I said, let's go out and hire somebody that believes in this community and, and in this sport the way that we do. And, and honestly, Jordan, um, he doesn't know this, so that, Big reveal, guys. Jordan was a complete accident, and it was the best accident we had all year, if you ask me. Um, he 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 crossed our radar by accident, um, and and then we, and Eric and I were looking at several candidates at the time, and then we said, "Oh well, what about this guy?" And it's funny because Jordan mentions the hockey community and how people still talk and everything. We actually went. I mean, Worcester's Worcester's a town, a city of thirty thousand people. People still remember who Jordan Romer is because we went and asked um, and, and we said, you know, does this, is this guy going to buy into like what we're trying to do here, our culture, all that, all that stuff, um, you know, putting together the baseline. And, and I mean, if you guys, if you see our website, if you see our Facebook page, our Instagram, the biggest thing we try to do is we're player first and we want junior hockey to be a fun experience, not just a competitive experience, but it should be. These guys, the way I look at it, um, I read a paper about junior hockey and the growth that it brings to players, uh, young men. Um, and, and, you know, nowadays, unfortunately, in society, we tend to shelter our kids for far too long, if you ask me. And, and then suddenly they're 19 and we say, hey, go to college, figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life. And there's no safety net. Right. Well, junior hockey I think is, is a nice little bridge to that safety net. It, it, it creates that safe space, that, that area for kids to grow and still have a place where they can be caught. Um, so going into this year, that was the big thing is, is to actually um, kind of give them that good time within the rules. Right. You know, but nobody wants to play for a nunnery. Um, so, you know, like we, we do things, there's, there's two personas. Jordan always calls it, you know, business Marty and um, online Marty. Um, and business Marty's a very serious guy on stage, Marty. I, I mean, you guys, you see it on the face. I joke around. I, I laugh at things. Um, I'm even at the games. I mean, I, I'll tell you, most of the refs in our division know me um, because at away games. I go to I go to a lot of our away games and I'm just a fan. So I'm chirping the refs just as much as anybody else. Um, I've literally had refs skate over and say, hey, aren't you the owner? And I'm like, yeah, get out of here. Start making good calls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I so couldn't I couldn't agree with you more that that junior hockey, every every hockey player, regardless if you have aspirations or not, you have if you have the opportunity to play junior hockey, do it. It's yeah, an experience. I, I never did. I, I went yep. the what I'm cautioning against. I guess I decided <laughs> I'm going to school. This is where I'm going to go. It's time I'm going to school. My brother 
played junior hockey uh, in Cleveland. And uh, it's an experience that, you know, you're going to go to school and, you know, I've had guys say, well, I don't want to be that old guy in college. Well, who cares? Yeah. All those people you're going to go see in college never had that experience of a 10 hour bus ride. The, the camaraderie <laughs> with guys from all over the place. I won't say yeah. the other things. That, uh, no, none of them have ever played rookie idol. Right. I, um, no, I mean, you're right. and, 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 you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, for instance, <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I have, um, by the way, I think rookie idol last year was uh, one of our goalies, Mac Miracle ended up winning that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, with junior hockey, with what these kids are doing, you know, I, I was um, a lot of the players. It's funny. I would say that I, during the season and even after one of the things I've caught on to that I wasn't expecting is it's like, I'm a father. I have one son. He's actually our assistant equipment manager. Our assistant equipment manager is 13 years old. Um, uh, and where's the uniform, uh, a, a unicorn costume sometimes at home games. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, the thing is though, is that it's almost like being a father to 28 additional sons, yeah. um, during the year. And, and that's been the most rewarding part of this entire experience. Um, I mean, I have players that text me all the time. They'll, they'll say, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And it's funny because at the beginning of the season, because I was spending a lot of time around, uh, one of them one day, I think it was Aiden Dempsey looked at me and, and Aiden Dempsey's a Cleveland kid. He's mm-hmm. looked at me and he's like, he's like, Hey, um, are we supposed to call you coach or Marty? And I'm like, just call me Marty, man. It's, it's all good. You know? And, you know, but these guys, I mean, they, they, they text me, they talk to me. Um, I had one last week and he was like, well, I, you know, I really want to play another year, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to work out my schedule and he really wants to play. And he's like, I just don't know because, you know, I'm like, he started to do a year of remote school because he could do that last year. And he's, he's like, what do you think? And I said, well, I said, education's important. I mean, you're talking to a guy with three degrees. Um, but what I told him is I said, you have the rest of your life to be an adult. You have one more year to play junior hockey and, and it can be as big as you want it to be and as small as you want it to be. And that's the thing. It's the experience. Um, and, and that's what a lot of players I think get when they come to Worcester. So how were you guys able to leverage Ohio grown talent to build your roster? Ooh, Jordan, can I take this one? Go ahead. Okay. So you know, when you look at it, I, a lot of what we did was, you know, we worked with groups like, uh, you know, we worked with Russ Sinkwich over at Ohio Hockey Project. Um, as a matter of fact, Ohio Hockey Project um, did our, became our, our goalie coach, uh, Ed. Uh, I can't say Ed's last name, but Ed. That's it. Yeah, yeah. We know Eddie. And, you know, he helped out a lot with our goaltending uh, towards the end of the season. Um, at the beginning of the season, you know, we had uh, ETM goaltending that was helping out. Um, and, and unfortunately, Sebastian had to go uh, back back home. Um, you know, but, you know, really getting out in the, the communities, working with the high school coaches, not in the sense that we want to take their talent, you know, when they when they can still play high school minutes, right? Working with those high school coaches to see who's graduating, who do you think is going to be good at this? And and we've started to build some really great relationships with, you know, CS, well, not CSHL, but the, the high school CSHL, uh, as well as the OSHAA. Um, we've had a couple guys from Barron's, uh, Team Ohio, uh, things like that. So we, we've worked with a lot of Ohio programs um, and we're starting to work our way south more and more. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of great Ohio players this year. I mean, 
I was just, Jordan and I were talking the other day, our third leading scorer was Aiden Dempsey played for Rocky river, you know, talk about a diamond in the rough. Um, I mean, the, the kid scored, I think he was what 0.75 points per game, um, in his rookie year. Um, and, and honestly, just an amazing work ethic, amazing athlete. Um, you had in goaltending, uh, you had Luke, Luke Bell and Rob Holden, right. Um, Luke, it was Rob was a rookie this year. Luke, it was his second year playing. He'd come up for the Columbus Mavericks. Between the two of them, those guys had uh, 1,441 saves in the season. And, and they pretty much split time equally in the net. Um, so, you know, I mean, they, they were great kids. Um, you know, even, even going to uh, Rob's brother, uh, Will, Will Holden, his rookie year. Uh, great second line kid, you know, and, and I know he's been working in the off season. Uh, Luke Guggenbiller from down in Miami, you know, great, uh, great guy, great, uh, <laughs> great, great friend, uh, great player there. Um, good team guy, right. Always there for the team um, to the point where he's taken his off time in the summer. And he actually took it upon himself to clean the locker room and scrub the logo on the floor to make it nice for the next, for next season. Um, and then you have guys like Tony Romani, Tony Romani is a, a homegrown Worcester kid, uh, as well as AJ candle, Kobe Greenberg. Um, Kobe came, you know, Kent had suspended season and Kobe came and played a few games for us after uh, Sebastian Smith got hurt. Um, all of them added great things to our roster. Um, and, and honestly, I couldn't be happier. I Jordan, you, anything you disagree with there? No, no, I agree with all that. I think just to kind of go, go back to um, how do we get these Ohio kids? And I think last summer for me, um, especially it was getting to know some of these coaches, especially the high school coaches, and then gaining their trust, um, letting them know that I'm not going to steal a kid that's, that's still in school if he's not ready to come. And um, a senior to, to play him. 50% of the games. Um, to me, that that hurts us too. Uh, him going back and playing a full season of high school, playing on the first line, playing power play, playing penalty kill, that's only going to help him develop. And going into next year, um, he's going to help us more. Um, so those are the big things. And then we were lucky that, that yeah, we got a couple of, of good high school or good Ohio players, sorry, that um, kind of was able to kind of open up that, that, kind of that cycle of other Ohio kids and the, the hockey world in Ohio is small. So if you're an O2 and you played for the Barons, you know, everybody that played for the blue jackets too. You might not know them to say hi to them on the street, but you know, their name as soon as you see it. And um, a lot of these guys follow each other on Instagram and, and things like that. So um, they see one kid signed with us and now I'm getting messages from three of their buddies that, that they're interested now too. So um, how, how did things, I saw one uh, tweet with uh, Trevor Stokes going to play at Toledo next year. Do you have any other uh, advancement? Uh, we do. We do. So uh, Sebastian Smith has committed to play uh, ECHA division one at Adrian. Um, nice. He's, uh, he's, he's stepping in there as an O2. Um, Kobe Greenberg and Hunter Hillebrack, they both were at Kent the year before and then since they suspended uh, their season, they both came back. Hilly, unfortunately, got hurt um, pretty quickly into our season. He, he hurt his knee and, and wasn't able to come back, um, which, which was a big loss to us. Uh, but he's hopefully uh, going to be cleared. He's cleared now, but hopefully ready to go and, and back playing at, at Kent. 
Um, and then we still have a couple other uh, 2000s that um, are working through their process and, and still talking to some schools and, and kind of figuring out what's the best fit for them, uh, both academically and athletically. So what are the plans for 2021-2022? How will this summer be different, if at all, from the inaugural season? The biggest thing now is we have a base. Um, we have returners. We have some guys that that we can build around. Where last year I stepped into a job where I had nobody. Um, I I didn't have anybody to build around. I didn't have a a, a top pairing defenseman to to find a partner for a first line center or anything like that. Um, right now I, I was in the office today, kind of just writing down what kind of what I think you know, we can look like line wise and. Um, not that last year wasn't exciting, but but going into this year is is a lot more exciting. I I, I think that we all feel pretty good about where we're at and um, the direction that we're moving in, and and some of that we have reaching out to us, and, and we've reached out to that. Um, kind of the word has started to get out that that Worcester is a good place to play. That that we look after you guys, that we take care of guys to to as best as we can at the junior level, right? I mean. Obviously, there is still um, discipline and, and stuff like that 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 needs to happen. But um, I think that's the biggest thing. Last year, nobody knew who we were. Um, I, I was a coach from college. I, I coached at the ACHA level. Nobody. I had one year as an assistant coach in the GMHL. Um, nobody knew what I what junior hockey was to me or or anything like that. Marty and Eric didn't know what they were getting into as owners. Um, now they kind of understand, they know where I need help. They, they, they know where to ask me to, to help to do things and, and things that, um, just aren't important at the junior hockey level or just aren't necessary, um, for junior hockey players. And, and they understand that. So, um, going into next year, we're excited. We're looking forward to it. I'm, we have camp coming up here in a couple of weeks and that's kind of, of our first step into to jumping into the 21-22 season kind of head first and and let's try to make as good of a run as we can and, and try to get as many guys as we can opportunities at the next level. So you brought up the offseason the, the uh, camp coming up what does the offseason calendar look like and when are the tryout camps set for? So we have our only camp scheduled right now is June 11th to 13th. Um, that is just our, basically our open free agent camp. Um, we are talking about possibly having another camp, but um, where we're leaning more towards right now is doing like a weekly skate um, with all of our returning guys. And then just kind of opening that up to, to other players as well that, that are coming in to, that want to look to have a tryout or, or anything like that. Um, other than that, it's, I mean, we, we were two weeks ago in Chicago, a couple of weeks before that in Detroit. Um, I'm heading actually back up to Michigan this weekend to watch a couple games and, um, just things like that, just wherever I can get viewing on, on games. I know the, um, Ohio hockey project as their futures league, um, that starts the week after our, uh, our, uh, camp. So I'll, I'll be pretty, pretty much a regular in the stands at those games and, um, just wherever we can see guys, we're, we're looking at guys. And if you can't attend those games in person, you can go to www.ohiohockeydigest.com and find all the player stats and results there. Just, just saying. Awesome. Did you know, Scott? <laughs> see, that, that's, that, <laughs> I did. That, that's what we call a humble brag. If we want. Wow. I, I did. I did all know the way down that. to I the peewee a couple times last year, all the way down to the peewee level this year. 
Oh, the Pee Wee level. So I was uploading all the rosters and uh, for the U18s, U16s, and the the summer elite league for the older guys. It's a crazy league he's got going. It is. Pro and he does an awesome player. job. Yeah, it's fantastic. So from an ownership so, standpoint, Marty, what what does this offseason look like for you? For you? Uh, well, the offseason for me, um, honestly, it's been busier than I wanted it to be. <laughs> um, so we we are going to be the Worcester Oilers that started last year. We're going to have a new look, um, you know, and, and I don't want to reveal too much right now. We're actually going to spend the next week leading up to camp kind of giving some previews. Um, but you know, our colors are changing. Uh, our logo has changed. Uh, a lot of people have seen that we've gone with more of a classic, uh, um, round logo. Um, and you know, that incorporates a lot of what the modern Worcester hockey world is about. Um, so, you know, we have some representation from our youth logo and our, uh, high school logo there at the program. And, and it kind of culminates into that junior logo. Um, and then, you know, changing the colors, uh, making Ollie, uh, first and foremost, the, those people who have seen, you know, kind of the, the mean guy holding the hockey stick, uh, that's Ollie, the oiler. Um, and, and, you know, we're really kind of trying to modernize the franchise. Right. Um, and, and, you know, just color wise too. I mean, we're getting away from the, the gold and the blue, uh, and going to more of a, uh, um, orange and blue, uh, color scheme. Um, so it's been a lot of equipment, uh, a, a lot of equipment ordering, a lot of work that way. Um, and beyond that, I mean, I, you know, it, it's funny because Jordan and I, you know, I've gone to a lot of the combines with him and stuff. And like I said, I don't skate. <laughs> um, so Jordan watches, you know, it, it's funny because we've fallen into these roles and Jordan, you tell me if you think I'm crazy here, but this is how I see us doing this at combines a lot. Jordan tends to watch the on ice product, whereas I tend to kind of sit back and watch guys on the bench, um, you know, because even though, even though I'm not, you know, uh, a hockey guy. Um, you know, I coached elite level baseball for years. Uh, I, I was martial arts instructor, uh, for, for almost a decade. Um, so I, I, I think I'm a pretty good judge of character. And, and so my big thing is this year and, and, you know, I, I, Jordan and I agree on this and I know Eric does is that, you know, we're recruiting kids based on character, work ethic, right? We don't want to see a sign of quit, you know? Um, and you know, one of the, one of the best, one of the best things I've ever heard a guy say is if you've got any quit in you, just get out now. Um, and, and that's the big thing, right? You know, we, we kind of want the guys that are going to wipe the sweat and keep going. Um, and we have a lot of those guys. I, a lot of those guys are returning. Um, we know they're coming to camp. Um, and we've signed a few great players that, that we know just don't have that quit. So who do you have uh, returning players uh, committed to come back next year? Um, right now, uh, well, Luke Guggenbiller is signed. Um, like I said, Luke's a great team guy and, you know, all about the team first, uh, Tony Romani, um, great character guy. Uh, Aiden Dempsey hasn't signed. He's verbally committed though. And, and, you know, Aiden and I have a pretty good relationship, so I know he's going to be back. Um, AJ Candle is coming back. Um, he had a, a long injury there, but he is, uh, he's come back all the way from it and is getting back in shape and ready to go. Um, and, uh, let's see, I can't think of any more, Jordan. You, you let me know if there's any returners I'm missing. I know the Holdens are coming to camp and uh, I know Luke Bell has said that he's uh, definitely interested in coming back. Um, and all those guys, great character guys. Um, I mean, just from the standpoint of, I mean, 
like if you ever want to see something really fun to watch, watch Luke Bell lift weights. The guy's a beast. I mean, there's no two ways about it. He just, you know, he puts 120% everything he does. Um, I actually went to a workout once and I couldn't help it. I had to get into it. And uh, honest to God, the kid's just like, no quit. I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a goalie, a by the way, for, for, right? That's, that is goalie, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a goalie, but he's, he's, he's a tough, quiet kid. Uh, one of, honestly, one of my uh, – they're all great kids, but Luke's one of my favorite players, and I think it's because he's quiet. He offsets me well. <laughs> just to go back there on marty's uh point there we do have uh probably six or seven other guys that um will be returning they'll be coming to camp right now they're still looking at they have some tier two options and, and tryouts and stuff like that so um just kind of letting them work through their 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 stuff there with tier two obviously um we're not as an organization we're going to do everything we can to help them make a tier two team and instead of holding them back nate needs that um, just signed a tender with Rockets uh, in the NCDC. So he's going to their camp um, and things like that. So um, I do expect kind of by the, the start of the season that we'll have probably nine to 11 returning guys. And then uh, uh, with a lot of our new guys, um, I, I do have Nolan Huss, um, who's a defenseman from Bowling Green area. Um, he's signed. And then a couple of other uh, um, guys that I have that, that are, will be signing contracts at camp, but, um, for the most part, a lot of these guys, we, we've just kind of been holding off on to till camp with them. Uh, one final question for either of you or both of you. Um, the Oilers were a part of a, a couple different leagues over the years. How has the membership in the USPHL been working out? We've, we actually have six teams in our coverage area in that, in the USPHL premiere. And so we've talked to a couple different operators uh, in that league. And I'm just wondering with the, the showcases and the affiliations call-ups, you know, to tier two, that type of thing. And having that many teams in the footprint uh, around here for the schedule and all of that, how, how has the USPHL been working out for Wooster? Yeah. I mean, it's the footprint, right? Um, a couple of years ago, I don't, I don't think they've released the, the stats from last year yet, but over 300 players committed to colleges. Um, that's the big thing for us is, is just that easy notab noticeability. Um, the combines are great. Um, obviously, we play in, in our three combines. We we typically do the Detroit – or the Detroit Showcase, sorry, not the combines. Uh, Detroit, Chicago, and then um, the one national showcase, depending on, on which one they, they place us in, the New Hampshire or Boston one. Um, but other than that, I mean, the league's great. Um, you, you, you know, for the most part, it's pretty competitive. There are – obviously a couple teams that are a little bit weaker and, and things like that. And then you, you always get the metros and, and Toledo's from last year that, that load up to, to win a national championship. But um, for the most part, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me, um, especially last year was, was just the help that we got Justin Quimbill in, in Metro is a, a pretty good friend of mine. I, I know him uh, pretty well from my time at Eastern and, and recruiting Metro guys. Uh, but I talked to him at least once a week with, with just questions. And I'm sure half of them, he's, he gets the text from me and he's like, Romer, what are you talking about? That's a ridiculous question. You know, the answer, <laughs> um, kind of thing, but, um, just about everything, just, um, even Kenny Miller in Toledo, 
Um, he's been great. He's been a, a big help to us as well. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is, um, especially for me, being a, a first-year head coach last year, I, I didn't know everything that, that needed to go into a junior game, especially the, the game day operations and then all the, the behind-the-scenes thing, getting guys registered onto the website and, and making sure stats and everything are accurate and, and things like that. So um, I think I've asked you every question under the book, and, and hopefully I, I have all the answers I need now. But um, I know even going into the future, I, I know it, all of our coaches, all the coaches in our, in our division especially are, are just one phone call away. Um, and, and everybody's willing to help everybody, which is, which is the best thing. We, we compete on the ice, but yeah. off the ice, we want to help each other. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I can ditto that 100%. Being a new owner, um, you know, it's you don't know what you don't know. Um, and you don't know the little intricacies and the unwritten rules and this and that. But um, uh, the USPHL, is, especially under the leadership of Bob Turow now, has been leaps and bounds uh, fantastic to us uh, as new owners. Uh, really helped us out. And I know they've done a lot for the new team in Cincinnati. Um, and, and within our division, especially, um, you know, Jordan mentioned it. I mean, Justin Quinville, Kenny Miller over Toledo, um, Brian Ram up in Erie. I mean, these guys have, you know, and, and, and even Dorsey over in Pittsburgh, like these guys have been fantastic. They're, they're always there, um, to help you out. I mean, we had a player get hurt over in Erie. Um, as soon as I walked out, Ram, Ram knew who I was and he's like, yeah, going back to the locker room, like, you know, help me out. Um, Kenny Miller, every time he's in Worcester, he makes it a point to come in the booth, say hi to me, make sure I'm writing the stats down right for his guys. Um, <laughs> after every single period, guys, Kenny's in the damn booth. Um, uh, Q, Q, uh, Q's always there on the phone. Every time I'm up in Michigan, I make sure to say hi to him. Of course, he's too good to come to Alice Noble uh, <laughs> anymore. But, um, and by the way, Q, if you're listening, that is definitely a chirp. Um, so, uh, but you know, I mean, honestly, it's really been fantastic. Um, I, there, the USPHL is, is, I think doing things the right way. Um, and, and, and highlighting not just tier three for the sense that it feeds tier two, but tier three as an option to take that step that you may want to take. And, and, and really that's what, that's what we're here for. We're player first. Um, you mark my words and, and believe me, if you guys ever see it happen and I'm still the owner, you can come and, and smack me around, but there will never be a point where Worcester completely changes the roster after Christmas break in order to try to make a run. The guys who come and play for us are the guys that are going to play for us. We're always going to do it right. Um, and, and I think that falls in line with, with programs that we respect such as Toledo and uh, Metro. So. Well, guys, you, you come from a long storied history in the Wooster Oilers organization. And the fact that you guys are back at it is phenomenal for hockey, not only in Ohio, but, but in the USPHL and the fact of how you guys are doing it, it, it just speaks volumes through the, the players that you've named players that have come before and just continued success. And thank you very much for taking the time tonight to join us. Yeah. Thanks guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having us. It was great. Well, back after a week off, hitting it hard, three guests tonight. First, we had on Nate Hanran, the GM and head coach of the Columbus Mavericks of the USPHL. Uh, Nate's history of coming from Niagara Falls, Ontario, uh, through Niagara University, 
uh, coaching on the women's side through Robert Morris in Ohio State, and now at the helm of the Columbus Mavericks. You hope that coaches in junior hockey have the best interest of the players and teach them how to grow and become better players and better individuals. Nate is definitely doing that down in Columbus. Absolutely. And by the way, a heavy lift for the two of us with uh, three guests and no, no uh, Tim Sullivan. We're having to, we're having to carry the, probably on assignment. We're having to drive the, yeah, on assignment again. Uh, again. But you're absolutely right. And I, and uh, you know, he came in, like you said, his, it's his career has kind of been, he seems to join organizations in their first or second year when they're kind of building things, but um, they had a really good year this year. And uh, it seems like they're coexisting. You know, we've talked about all the, we, we talked about a lot of high school hockey on this podcast and how that's been growing down in Columbus. And then you drop a, a tier three junior team in there and it probably causes a lot of apprehension that they're going to start poaching players or whatever like that. But it seems like they've coexisted pretty, uh, pretty well with the, you know, in the ecosystem, if you will, down there. All, all the general managers and the coaches we've had on, you know, they, it's almost a misnomer that that's what's going to happen. Well, speaking with Nate and speaking with our second guests, with Marty and, and coach Jordan Romer, that, that's not the best interest of the player. And, and that was said in both uh, talks tonight is that the best interest of the player is first and foremost, player friendly, player driven. I mean, they're, they're here for the betterment of these players. So to, I'll use a term that was used in the interview was, was poach them. How does that benefit? Right. It doesn't. Now, if they are ready, you'd hope it's a collective agreement from their, their, their uh, uh, either high school or their youth coach. And, the junior team that says, Hey, we think he's ready. What do you think? What do you think? What's the player think? What does the family think? Yeah. It's a, it's a collective agreement because at the end of the day, you're not doing this player a service or a justice right. by putting him in a situation that he may not be ready for yet. Yeah. And the Mavs had a lot of Columbus area high school kids. I think almost all of them were, you know, graduated yep. from their high school program. And Oh, I know of one that didn't, he was a senior this past year. But I also went to that tryout I mentioned at Winterhurst last year. They did a joint tryout with the New Hampshire Monarchs team at Winterhurst, mm-hmm. and the kid was the best player on the ice. So but, he probably – he was ready to – If he's ready to do it. Yeah, absolutely. If it's the betterment for the player. Yeah, and to it. Jordan Romer's point, go back and play in high school, play power play, play first line, touch the puck a lot, and then you still got two years of junior eligibility. Come to me then, right? Yeah. So it seems like it, there's always going to be, you know, an instance once, once in a while where people get their toes stepped on, but it seems like for the most part uh, that the, you know, they're coexisting, you know, in that ecosystem down there pretty well, I think. Absolutely. Then we had the chance to sit down with the co-owner and GM and head coach of the Wooster Oilers back at it again, down there at the Ellis Noble ice arena, Marty Kerr, Jordan Romer, excellent talk. I mean, Again, starting from scratch, there's no, there's no blueprint. It's let's feel our way through. And, and, you know, they, they made multiple mentions of the help they've received through other coaches throughout the area, uh, be it out of Toledo, out of Metro, out of Pittsburgh. Um, they're, 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 they're obviously he hinted at a rebranding, so to speak of the club. Um, 
the building process is difficult. Uh, obviously, there's got to be excitement, as Jordan spoke about. There's a little more excitement this year than last. I'm sure it's a pressure thing, too. Now you have a year under your belt. You understand kind of what's supposed to happen. And now yeah. it's, okay, now we our, our feet are fully entrenched in this. Let's go. Yeah, and they, so they took their lumps last year. It, it was, sure. a, I think there were eight wins last year. So, um, but they, uh, yeah, and they've done a good job. Uh, look, you know, securing uh, high school players or you know graduated players uh, from the Cleveland area specifically, but they're they're kind of uniquely positioned, as he mentioned. What, what did he say? You go down seventy one, you go through a cornfield for ten minutes or ten miles. Turn right through a cornfield. It's not it's Toledo. Cornfield. It's not Cleveland. It's not Columbus. They're kind of you know, and they've been reaching out and uh, grabbing players from from all those different markets but i'm, I'm going to go to a game in worcester next year it looks like a very quaint place uh i still it kind of reminded me of Adina. i was looking at some you know looked it up i've never been there you know but, but it, uh, it's it, alice noble's a phenomenal place yeah it really is it, it's it's a loud building yeah and you it seems don't like need it, many to have it sound yeah. like it's much larger and, and it sounds like they've got a good good uh fan support down there and yep. i'm definitely going to get to a game there next year I'd like to get in that loge, nice glass enclosed place. Great vantage point to watch the game. That'd be pretty fun to see. But you know what, with, with the positivity those guys are talking and, and how just excited they are, it's, it's, it's not if, it's when for those guys, you know, having a, a short total of wins last season. And, and hey, you, you got to build it from somewhere. I guess somewhere. start somewhere. Right. It's, and, uh... and you know what, with, with, the excitement that they're 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 coming with and 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 projecting out uh, through management and and coaching staff, it's just a matter of time. And and good luck to all those guys involved to to yep. Coach Romer and, and Marty Kerr and, and even to Nate Hanrahan in Columbus. And the options for junior hockey, I think it was it was Coach Gotkin at, at Mercy who said there's all, there's always a place for you. Somewhere. Yeah, and and it's great. Like I said, there's to six. Find the right fit. It's tier three hockey. There's six teams in the USPHL premier mm-hmm. in this area region. And, but they are also that the NCDC is under their umbrella. Mm-hmm. So there's like Columbus, they had an affiliation with the New Hampshire Monarchs. That's, that's a heavily scouted tier two program on the East coast. Absolutely. And like you said, he's got, they are obligated to take a handful of his kids up there for a week. If, even if they just practice, that's an eye opening experience. They're getting that look. Yeah. It's great. I mean, you know, the the tier three league gets, it's gets a, I'm going to say a bad rap because they're like, I don't want to do this. And I don't know. That's just this. That's just that. Do you know, are you just going off of what you're hearing? Yeah. And it's unfortunate because there's a lot of good clubs out there and there's, you have to start somewhere. If you don't get that look at a, what you want as a tier two or a tier one, well, start somewhere. Boston University and, and Northeastern are not, and Maine are not going to see you playing in Wooster, but, or Columbus. But if you go up with the Monarchs for the rest of the year, like I, I'm sorry, I forget the kid's name. He said, who went up yep. to the New Hampshire Monarchs and ended up staying for the rest Never of the year. Back. Yep. Ian Moran and his group and everybody from BU, all the hockey schools all saw that kid play. So, and it starts, you know, in Wooster or Toledo or Columbus or Erie or Fort Wayne or 
now in Cincinnati, they have a team. So it's a, it's a great, uh, great place to get started and, you know, opportunities to move up. Well, another good show, another fun one. Episode 53 is being put to bed. Special thanks to the mustache, Scott Harrington for joining us again tonight. Business Harrington is in the building. Oh, Sully's going to love seeing you. Yeah, one more show, then it's hiatus. I'm all going on hiatus. Ah, sounds like yeah. we're all going on hiatus. Good enough. <laughs> yeah, who's going to write the script? All right, join us again next week on air when we will be discussing the need for two divisions in Ohio high school hockey. Then in two weeks, he's back for more punishment. Blue Jacket beat writer Aaron Portsline will join us again to talk about what's shaping up to be a very entertaining offseason in Columbus. Lots to talk about with Portsy. As always, we are continuing to grow the game as best we can. This is On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast.